0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I
1: see my mom coming downstairs and she says, Akeem, go upstairs and get the rest of your stuff. I'm saying, Mom, what are you talking about? Go upstairs and get the rest of my stuff. Like it's minus 25 outside. She said, Akeem, I don't want no back talking. I don't want no back and forth. Go upstairs and get the rest of your stuff. And so at 13, my mom and I were walking. I had one garbage bag in one hand, one garbage bag in the other hand, backpack on, jacket on, And she had the same, and we got to this bus stop. And we got into the bus stop, and we sat down with our stuff in there. And I remember looking at my mom. I said, Mom, where are we going? What are we doing? And she couldn't look at me.
2: And that would be one of the hardest things that Akeem Haynes would have to experience in his life. But it was through that that he persevered, he was resilient, and he became the man he is today. And that is a two time Olympian. He's now an inspirational speaker as well as an author today in Connections. He's going to share his powerful story with us. Hakeem Haynes joins us today. He's a two time Olympian. He's also a mentor, an inspirational speaker, as well as an author.
0: Uh, Akeem, you have a really amazing life story When I read through it and getting ready for this uh, The one theme that I see over and over again Is resilience in your life Um, You're Canadian, a lot of people might recognize your name If they're thinking like, oh I I think I know (laughs) that name We'll tell you why in a little bit But let's start at the very beginning And talk about that resiliency of you and your mother You grew up in Jamaica, tell us about that And how you came to Canada
1: Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Westmoreland, Jamaica. Um, I grew up very, very tough. Uh, To make it simple, in 2015-16, the place where I grew up, there was 99 deaths in that area, and that was the third most in Jamaica. Right, So there was two other places in Jamaica that had a higher death rate. But just to give some context behind where Uh, I grew up. So my mom and dad had a conversation and my dad said, you know what, Akeem can be a million and one things in a different country. But if he stays here, he might be limited. Right. So my dad, for 365 days out of the year, I still don't know how a person can work that much and not get sick. Right. But that's what he did. And so he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked. And he got all the money, and then my mom and I went to uh, Yellowknife of all places. I know I'm still trying to figure out why we went there as well too. It a
0: knife. <laughs>
1: <laughs> talk, talk about a culture shock. Talk about a climate shock as well too. Uh, but that's how we got to Canada. My uncle was in the army up here. That's where he was based, and that's how how he got here. You know, I've I felt like I've had to grow up a lot earlier than most kids normally would have to. And I got to the point where we came to Calgary. I was 13 years old and my mom and I found ourselves homeless, right? Staying at a bus stop, no place to go in the middle of winter time. And I remember I came home from school and it was a regular regular day, you know, it was normal uh Calgary winter, pretty cold, but I remember coming back from school and I opened the door and there was three garbage bags on the ground and I'm thinking to myself, "Wait a minute, we we didn't eat this much food. There's no way it can be" garbage but then as i got closer to these bags i started to see like my hat and i started to see my shoes i started to see my things that i was wearing i was like wait a minute i see my mom coming downstairs and she says Akeem, go upstairs and get the rest of your stuff i'm saying mom what are you talking about go upstairs and get the rest of my stuff like it's minus 25 outside i was just out there it's minus 20 like i know when she said Akeem, i don't want no back talking I don't want no back and forth to go upstairs and get the rest of your stuff. And so at 13, my mom and I were walking. I had one garbage bag in one hand, one garbage bag in the other hand, backpack on, jacket on, and she had the same. And we got to this bus stop. And we got into the bus stop. It was a, a glass door, four walls, and we sat down with our stuff in there. And I remember looking at my mom. I said, Mom, where are we going? What are we doing? And she couldn't look at me. And then, even as I think about it now, I know she felt like she failed me, right? My dad said, look, Akeem can be a million and one things in a different country, take care of him. And she felt like she failed what the mission was set out to do, right? But it was also in that same moment that I understood you talked about the the, the title of this, which is gratitude. I was so grateful at 13 years old that I didn't have to go through that situation by myself. I don't know how I would have got through it alone. I was grateful that I had a jacket, that I had shoes with laces. I was grateful that I had things to help keep me warm. And one of the questions people always ask me all the time, uh, sorry, but the long-winded, uh, long-winded answer, but one of the things people always ask me all the time is Akeem, what was the hardest part about being homeless, right? Not a lot of people know that I was still going to school as if nothing happened, right? I was going to school early and I was actually going I knew what time school started. I knew what time I could get inside the school. I knew what time usually kids were arriving at the school. So I would go to school before anybody else did when the janitors were there and the custodians were there cleaning. And I would wash myself inside of the bathrooms where no one was there. I didn't want to make any excuses. I didn't want anything like that. Not that it was anything admirable or anything like that. I just didn't know better. You know what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, Keem, no, like I just didn't. I don't, I'm a person where I don't like feeling embarrassed. I don't like feeling none of that. So, I just said, you know what? I'm going to go and do what I have to do. So, I would brush my teeth there. Right. And there were times when I would let my mom come in after school and she would do the same thing. So, when we talk about resilience, that's where it comes from for me. You know, my story has always been that. And I think. I think there are certain things in life that when we look at our life, there is a word that's attached to it and we have to live out that word and life is going to make us live that word out. And that is the test. And so for me, resilience, it's not something that I would set out and say I want to be that, but it's something that I've embraced over the years.
2: Now, unfortunately, seeing people in bus shacks, seeing homeless people has become something that is very common nowadays for you. You were very young when this was happening. Give us an idea of what was going through your mind as you were dealing with being on the streets.
1: I think that's part of the strength of it, too. When you're so young, you just go with the groove, right? So for me, while I understood what was happening, I never had that experience before, so I didn't know how to navigate through it. So I was just going and doing the regular things as I normally would and was just trusting that when we got back to the to the bus stop, that my mom would have something new or have a different idea of how we could attack the situation. So I didn't. The only thing that was going through my mind was, man, get through today, (laughs) get through today, and then we'll think about tomorrow when it comes. But we got to focus on today and see how we can survive today and make today work. So I was just very daily focused during that time.
0: You um, ended up uh, on the world stage, right? From a kid that goes from moving to a strange country, total change (laughs) of climate and culture, to eventually an Olympian. You represented Canada twice at the Olympics. Uh, But that was not a smooth journey to becoming an Olympian, was it? Tell us a little bit about that, the sports journey in your life.
1: You know, it's um, it's, when I, I had a coach... In the ninth grade when i was playing football and he said man football will teach you a lot about life and while that was it's it's a true thing i always felt like that my life experiences prepared me for the ups and downs of the sporting world you know so i was battling through injuries throughout my career um in the 12th grade i had signed to play football and run track at florida state university I found out that one of the maths that I took in the ninth grade, the NCAA didn't accept anymore. So I was automatically ruled ineligible. So I couldn't go division one right away. So I had to go a different route to junior college when I got there. And, you know, I was the second fastest under 18 in certain distances, came to my junior college. I was the sixth fastest person on my team, you know, so that was a different shock. I was coming off injury as well, too. So that year didn't go well ended up getting hurt as well. Then the next year, I ended up being back to where I once was, go to University of Alabama, didn't have a successful first year there, made some adjustments and started to adapt to it. But it took me five years to get to a point where I felt like I could compete with some of the best in the world. And it was, a, it, was it was tough, it was hard, but every single day I knew that man you have to take a risk on yourself and bet on yourself and if you are going to make anything happen in your life you are going to be the hap- you are going to have to be the one to initiate it and to start it. So my track and field career man it's 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 an uphill slope, it's a downward drop and then it goes up again and then it drops again. But for me I've just learned that like everything that you do it comes with a cost. And whatever whatever you're trying to achieve, you can't just pay half price. Success, whatever it is, it comes with a cost. And you can't say, oh, I want to pay it today and pay it tomorrow. No, you got to – it costs what it costs. So regardless of what you have, you got to pay that price.
0: What was that like? You get like a taste of those Division One schools and the big scholarship offers. And the next thing you know, you're having to go to a junior college and like – no, no shot against junior or community colleges, right? <laughs> I, I, that's where I started. <laughs> but I mean, there's a big difference between NCAA Division One and a junior college. So, what was that 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 season of life like for you? Did you want to just give up and walk away? Or?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, I went to Barton Community College, which is one of the most prestigious junior college track and field programs there. Mm. But to give people insight, right? You know, you go to so. You go to uh, Tuscaloosa, right? Tuscaloosa, Alabama was where I went to school, and there's 45,000 people there. It's bigger. But you go to Barton Community College, and the most exciting thing there is Walmart, right? So if somebody's going to Walmart, yo, we're all trying to go to Walmart. (laughs) And it was tough because it's on you. And a lot of times in the junior college system, you know you're not going to have certain resources that other schools have. We only had two coaches. One coach does the jumps, which is our head coach, Coach Dave Schenick, and our sprints coach and our hurdles coach, Coach Nigel Bigby. NCAA, usually you have four, five, six coaches. Well, now you have two. And now you're on the bus every single place that you're traveling to. We would go to meets in Texas and Arkansas that was eight, nine hours. And then we would have to be expected to run once we get off the bus. So it's just a different dynamics. And you really have to be mentally tough to make it out because junior college is not for people who aren't. You may forget the long term as you're in the short term day to day because there's not much to do. All you do is school and track an idle mind, idle hands can often get you in trouble and so, his focus is discipline. Um, but that's how I was wired. So, my time at junior college was just part of the long term goal. So, I was just more focused and disciplined in areas where my teammates weren't.
2: Now, you eventually went on to win a medal. You're a two time Olympian. Tell us about that experience and what it was like to go from homelessness to an Olympian.
1: Yeah, so the first games was uh, 2012 was in London. I was an alternate on that team, so I didn't quite run, but the experience was great. I got to see what it was like at the elite level, not just in track and field, but all of the sports, you know, from basketball to tennis. And going to 2016, I'm a firm believer where when you know better, you do better. And when you've been there the first time, it's not an experience anymore. The second time, it's about completing a certain mission and task you set for yourself. So 2016, I was faster, I was stronger, I was more experienced, and so I expected to do much better. Uh, the 100 meters didn't go as well as planned, but I had a second chance in the relay, and so being able to go and getting an Olympic final—I mean, it's—it's it's really in the sporting aspect. There's nothing like it, right? It's—it's—it's it's, it's 40 thousand people, 30,000 people in person watching. Then there's another millions of people watching online across the world. And I remember walking to the start line and I could, it was quiet, right? It was loud, but it was quiet. And one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to take a moment to appreciate the moment. I think sometimes when we reach a certain goal or along the journey, We're so focused on getting there that we take certain things for granted. And that's the moment that we're in. And so for me, I just took a moment to look up and to say, man, God, I'm grateful to be here. But let's try and come away with the medal (laughs) because we we (laughs) want to make sure we leave with something. And so for me, I just wanted to put my team in the best position for us to get a medal. Uh, We expected the medal. And so when it happened that we got it, I mean, it was a and we broke the record at the time, too. It was just a remarkable
0: moment. It's moments like that that you remember for a lifetime. That's pretty amazing. And, I mean, like, talking about 2016 and your 100 meters, you ran a 10.2, I think, and the winner was Usain Bolt at 9.8. Like, you you, you lost by a lot, but we're talking like four-tenths of a second, actually, when they say a lot in sprinting. So, you're always, like, so close to having it, yet so far away at the same time. So, that resiliency... That's got to come out for you as an athlete over and over again, I guess. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, one of my fastest races uh, was against Usain Bolt's trading partner at the time, Johan Blake. And Johan ran like nine eight 86, and I ran 10.06. And I remember looking back and I was just thinking to myself, man, there's just different levels to this thing. <laughs> and so there are moments when you get tested in your life and you're thinking to yourself, is this really worth it? And you don't really know if something is worth it until you finish and commit it all the way through. And then you can kind of judge to say, you know what, I didn't get here in this area, but there was a lot of cool things that happened in between. And so it was my resiliency that helped me get through all of those mindset battles and those changes of asking myself, man, is this really going to change? Is this really going to be worth it? Because everybody wants the same thing that you want, but not everybody is strong enough mentally for the journey.
2: Speaking of strength, you also have a very strong faith. Tell us a little bit about that and how that's helped you through this entire journey.
1: I mean, it's been it's been it's been a cornerstone in my life since I was a young kid. You know, from my grandmother telling me certain stories, um, and then me getting older. You know, while I was very immersed in the Word, very immersed in the Scripture, it's one thing to be scripturally uh, mature, but it's another thing to be mature in your in your walk with Christ. You know, I have like I've felt like I'm very honest. Like what you see is what you get with me. I'm not going to. That's just who I am. I've known people who know scriptures in, out the woodworks, can give you Psalm 36 to ev- whatever you want. But I've also known people who don't really walk what they say. And so I've always tried to mirror every single thing congruently. And so for me, one of the scriptures that always comes to mind that stuck with me, that helped me in my darkest moments and times is Galatians 6, verse 9, where it says, Do not be weary for doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And so for me, I'm just like, man, I know if I keep going, I know if I keep pushing, I know if I keep showing up, then good things will happen. But good things won't happen if I give up now. And so it's those things that has helped me, man. I I don't think I would be here mentally sharp and positive if it was not for my faith and the people who have spiritually prayed for me uh, when I needed it my most.
0: I was wondering if your favorite verse might be from Galatians or something. Paul talks (laughs) a lot about running races too, right? (laughs) You were right. (laughs) (laughs) You've actually, you've written a couple books too. Tell us about those really quick. Yeah. So uh, uh, Love, Life and Legacy was my first
1: book I wrote when I finished college. And that book was just uh, certain excerpts of uh, things that I felt like I knew at that time based on my life experiences. You know, so, for example, you know, there's a part about, you know, faith and what faith means to me at that point. There's a part about perseverance and what perseverance means to me at that point. And as I got older, uh, my second book, which is Fear, Faith, and Fruition, I started to tell certain stories and parts of my life, but other people as well, too, because there's 7.6, 7.7 billion people in the world right now, and we aren't walking this thing alone. And a lot of times we can feel like we are the only one experiencing and going through certain situations, but that's not the truth. And so my books is a reminder that, look, you're not going through this alone. You've, I've had these thoughts. You've had these thoughts. We're all struggling with it together. But this is how we can stay encouraged along the journey. I just want to be of encouragement to those uh, who may be walking similar paths, right? Because we can go further together. And a lot of times we don't think that there is someone else like us and is dealing with some of the battles that we face. I'm not about Perfection. I'm about progression. So that's what I try and instill. I'm not here to try to be perfect. We, We all fall short of the glory and the mark. But can we be our authentic self and be open enough to say, you know what, we're trying to get to the same destination. I'm not about to tell you something that I haven't lived. So every book, everything that I share is always that. I feel like I am very relatable because I am true to myself. And I'll always be that.
0: Nice. You're actually speaking of that, too, like you walk alongside people through a mentorship program. Why was that important for you to do?
1: You know, there was a there's a quote that says, learn from the mistakes of other people because you can't make them all by yourself. So, <laughs> so, so for me, step. mentorship, man, you know, uh, one of the questions people have asked me is, Akeem, what did it feel like when you were standing on the podium getting your medal? And I feel like I always kind of disappoint people with that answer because they expect this big, magnanimous answer like, man, it was amazing and this and that. And by all means, it was. But there's a quote by Maya Angel that says that says I come as one, but I stand with 10,000. And what that means to me was there's a lot of people. I was there by myself with my teammates, but there's a lot of people who were behind me that helped me get there. And so I try with my mentorship program to give back what I didn't have. I didn't have a lot of people saying, Akeem, you could do this or this was possible. I didn't have a lot of those positive encouragements. When I did, oh, I took it. I, I ran with it and I held it closely, but I didn't have those certain things. I had to grow up and f- to make certain decisions, even though I didn't know if it was the right one. And so for me, I try and give what I didn't have in information, in advice, in experiences, and however I can genuinely help. That's according to the season that they're in. And so that's where the mentorship program comes back from. I just try to give what I didn't have.
2: Tell us a little bit more about what you're up to, talk a little bit more about that mentorship program, how people can find out about that and how they can just find out about what you're up to on a regular basis.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, So I'm speaking full time. So I travel uh, depending on which area, you know, corporate stuff, uh, sports stuff, and just try and speak depending on the message that's needed. But perseverance and resiliency is uh, is my number one uh, topic. Um, I am also in the transition of moving down to America, actually. I'm, I'm getting married in September, so a lot of moving parts at the moment um, and uh, running the podcast as well, too, doing some sports commentary. So we have a bunch of, bunch of different things uh, going in the works
2: right now at the moment. And for those wanting to find out more about that, how can they go about doing that?
1: www.akeeminspires.com. That's the website and it has all of the, all of the information there.
2: Thank you so much for making time for us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
2: And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. It was such a powerful story of transformation. If you want to hear this story again, you could do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike Tom and Colleen Hood. You can also find plenty of other interviews to check out while you're there. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.